Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Welcome everyone. Today, this special day, International Day of Education, we're looking at the broad picture of how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted education, learners and families and the whole society. And we're looking at ways that organizations have become creative and courageous in the ways that they've brought new ideas and new approaches to help us all both move through this pandemic, but also to be prepared in the future and also to bring us into a new place. UNESCO chose as the theme for today, recover and revitalize education for the COVID-19 generation. And I can't think of anybody who's done more for that theme, thought about it and implemented it around the planet than our special guest. I wanna greet Atul Tandan, who is the CEO of Opportunity International, one of the largest providers of education at the grassroots level on a global basis. Atul, thank you so much for joining us here today. Give our viewers an opportunity to see how did Opportunity International come to be so deeply involved in education and how has this past year impacted you, your organization, the learners and the education in program that you've had scattered all over the world? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you, Mark, for, for having me uh, and uh, thank you for uh, both your leadership and that of Global Minnesota. Uh, and so let me talk about education uh, and uh, what got us into education. You know, we are and have been, Mark, uh, in the business of helping uh, people living at the bottom of the pyramid build their incomes, their livelihoods and get out of poverty. And, you know, as you know, we do that by giving them, uh, you know, making sure they have the financial resources, the training and the support they need to really start businesses on a living. Well, as it happens, uh, you know, this would be about, I would say now almost 15 years back, um, you know, we started noticing that uh, many of our clients and 90 plus percent are women, um, you know, average loan sizes of about $350. So that gives you a sense of who these people are. Oh, very, very poor, uh, you know, and barely able to make ends meet. They started coming to us and saying, you know, now that we are earning a living uh, and are able to not put food on the table and we have a roof over our heads, the next big uh, need that we have is to get better education for our children. So, so our, uh, our entry into education didn't come because we were, you know, smart kids up on the block. It really came because we had uh, our focuses on our clients, on the people we serve, and they came and told us, right, here's what's happening and we want to get better education for our children. Well, you will ask the question, why is that so after all these years? And uh, the facts of the matter, even today, six out of 10 kids are not learning you know, around the world. Six out of 10, you know, 264 million children who should be in school are not in school. Another about 353 million, and these are, you know, statistics from uh, the UNESCO and others, uh, children who go to school uh, don't have basic literacy skills and numeracy skills. So you've got that combination. And so the mothers are coming to us and saying, you know, uh, we want help. We want our kids to go to better quality schools. Uh, you know, those schools charge a small fee, so help us. 
So what we found was that the funds that we were giving them, Mark, and the funds they were generating from their businesses were now going to, to provide for the education of their children. So being a financial services organization, the question we asked ourselves, well, how do we help not only these mothers, but other mothers do the same thing? Send their, get, let their kids have affordable education. That led to the genesis of the uh, education finance program which uh, now, as of uh, you know, uh, end of last year, 20, uh, December 31st, we were in uh, 24 countries, 63 local partners, and I'll tell you a little bit about how the program works. Over 7.2 million children benefited since the start of the program. Uh, end of the year, we had about 3.8 million children in schools, 14,500 schools. Uh, and uh, you know, in, in over that period of time, we have lent upwards of about $370 million. So it's been quite um, a, a, a for now, about 12 years into the program, effectively since launching. It's been quite the journey. What have been some of your strategies and tactics that various of your partners in different countries have used to sort of turn and try to pivot to make the best of the current situation? It's been, it's been rough, I mean, very, very rough. You know, we, we, we all have had a rough time dealing with COVID. We've been pretty much movement restrictions at home, not able to leave, you know, and for every one of us, it's been a difficult experience. But for the poor, it gets especially difficult. And when then for the children, you know, so one, your parents, you know, had a small business in the local marketplace. The marketplaces are shut down. Well, guess what? There is no earning in the family, no, no wages in the family. Building construction stopped. Your dad was working as a day laborer, no money. Your mom selling from a little stall, markets closed, no money. And now your school's closed. And so as a result, you've got kids at home, no visible sources of income, uh, no education. And Mark, what, what breaks my heart is in all our schools, you know, the schools that we have uh, around the world that we are financing, we insist that there is a, a, day, uh, a daily meal program because we know that kids are not getting enough nutrition at home. I mean, that's just a fact of life. Guess what happens when the schools are closed? Right. Right. I mean, you can fill in the blanks. I mean, these yeah, are children yeah. who are not only not getting education, they literally are facing, uh, you know, uh, uh, malnutrition. So it, it just is all of these disasters coming together. Peak of the pandemic, 1.6 billion children were out of school uh, last August, 1.6 billion children. Even today, uh, end of the year, early this year, about 20 to 25% have gone back to school, but mostly still are out of school. It's not very clear, you know, uh, openings are going to be sporadic a, a, at best. So what have we done uh, and, and uh, to, to help these, uh, you know, both the schools and the children deal with the, with the impact of the pandemic? One, what we did was to make sure that, remember, our model is, is to use our philanthropic capital to get local lenders, local banks to extend credit to, to school proprietors for inner renovation programs, so building new schools, new classrooms, increasing the size. And then we have a parallel program where we then help the schools improve quality, organizing the clusters, they learn from each other. So you've got two things going on simultaneously. You've got the financing coming from the local banks, you've got opportunity working with the schools on, on, on improving quality. So what we did was one, we asked the banks to, to declare moratoria so that you know, the schools are closed, 
These are small local business people. They're running a school with, you know, uh, a, a few kids in, in the school. Well, how do you pay back your loan when there is no money coming in uh, from the, the school's closed? So we, we, we uh, had loan moratoria going on. Secondly, we wanted to help the, the proprietors be able to open schools when the, the markets didn't open, right? So we, we really helped them figure out how to run the school in the absence of funds coming in, how to negotiate with bankers, how to use their facilities for other purposes. Some of them actually set up uh, community gardens uh, where uh, local people could come and, you know, either uh, purchase some of their, their uh, 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 vegetables and other things. Uh, and, and as a result, the school had an income or at least, you know, had the in-kind capacity for the kids and the families to survive their things to eat. Uh, others did, you know, other other things to, to earn a living. So we helped the schools to say, how do you survive? We then helped the school teachers to actually start to learn from each other, connected them of all things on Facebook. Uh, so they could form clusters, so they could learn from each other. How do you educate a child who all that they have is maybe a little, what you call a dumb phone at home? They don't even have a smartphone. How do you educate a child? What do you do? Right? How do you hold classes under a tree? You know, how do you show up? I mean, those, so we, we practically help the, the teachers uh, equip themselves. And then, of course, uh, the parents who, who had, uh, in some cases, loans on uh, school loans from us, extend those loans out and then, you know, provide them emergency facilities. So that's been part of the journey is, is how do you keep the schools from not closing, get ready to reopen? How do you keep the teachers engaged? And Mark, most importantly, and I would say for all of us, uh, you know, it's not only opportunities, but all of our jobs uh, internationally, how do you make sure that when schools open, the, the students go back to school? And I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges that the world community faces. Uh, we've learned from prior experiences, well, Ebola, uh, the Pakistan earthquake, you know, you go to the Haiti earthquake. I mean, what happens is if kids stay away from school for a while, uh, a very fairly large number of them never go back uh, because parents now are using them for, you know, earning wages and, and helping the family to survive. Well, so give our viewers some of the ideas that you've mm -hmm. seen that you have some faith and some hope can help this next time around for us mm -hmm. to uh, mm -hmm. uh, do a better job. Better. So what we have done is we, we, we did a few things on this front. One, uh, we, we, we are working with the school proprietors to say, okay, how do you encourage your, mm -hmm. uh, the parents of, of the school children who are in, in, enrolled in your school to, to get them to get back to school, right? Keep them engaged whilst they're still, while the school is closed and get back to school. So we have, you know, we have set up things like parent-teacher associations. We are asking teachers to go out in the communities, work with the parents, especially the parents of girl children, uh, because they are most at risk of not coming back. You know, we're expecting somewhere about 25 to 30 million children will never come back to school, mostly girls. So that is one is, is to encourage parents. Two is uh, to for the proprietors to actually encourage the teachers to stay engaged. Because if the teachers, no money is coming in, they go off and do something else. You know, there won't be any teachers. So we have actively actually set up teacher groups around the world. 
thousands of teachers who are learning from each other, um, you know, staying connected with each other and picking up tips on how to survive this, this period. So there is, as you will go, remember, Mark, if you want to go far in life, you want to go with friends, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. This is no business of we are not in the business of going fast. You could go alone. We have to go far. So we've connected the teachers. They've formed cohort groups. They're working with teachers from everywhere, from, you know, India and Pakistan on, on the east to, to uh, uh, Colombia and Peru in the West, you've got across language barriers, they're learning to talk with each other. And, and, and that's really been tremendous for us is uh, working with the parents and working with the teachers. And then lastly, working with the proprietors on holding hands and saying, how do we next survive? What can we do locally? Uh, we have set out uh, Facebook pages. We put out a whole curriculum for the proprietors on on how to survive the pandemic. Uh, we put out a new curriculum for the teachers on best practices to to engage students uh, whilst they are uh, you know at home and 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 couldn't even be working. So those are some of the things we have done. And my expectation on all this is that because of these things, for the most part, you know we will start to see. Uh, as schools reopen, we will start to see students come back. Um, and, and I am very hopeful actually of that uh, in, in that uh, our expectation, you know, country by country and what we are seeing is that for the most part, our, our uh, students are coming back. They well, do need some financial support and yes. we are providing that. Uh, where parents are still at loss of income. So, you know, we are stepping in to actually actively reduce the interest rates on the loans to the school where needed and uh, providing support to the family. So there's a little bit of a bridge till they're able to to get back to, to, to normal. Well, it sounds like many of these things are things that could be continued. Parent associations, uh, new curriculum. It sounds like you're both helping people figure out how to recover and then also revitalizing in some ways. Are there um, sort of new approaches that you have said, oh, we've got to make sure we bring that into this next phase, this Mm -hmm. next post-COVID phase um, that you're excited about? That that's a great question. You know, never let a crisis go to waste. So, what did we learn from this crisis? Well, one uh, what we learned uh, is really the power of uh, digital technology. Ah. You know, we we had never thought that we would connect teachers across the world. I mean, never, right? Uh, uh, but that that that's what we were actually. You know, we we had to do. Uh, so now, you know, we, we, we are, uh, in fact, I'm going to read to you is, is that uh, what we have set up is uh, a school leader and teacher mentor training program. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we have identified teachers who are, who are leaders in their own schools and so, all right, how do they get to mentor other teachers? So you're learning peer to peer learning and that's being delivered electronically. So that whole program will now be available globally for, for thousands wow, of, our, of our teachers. Uh, there is a, a pathways to reopening we put together. In fact, the proprietors put together a sort of three phase reopening plan. So we've gathered all of that and are now making that available to all of the, you know, 15,000 school proprietors around the world. And that's all being done electronically. And some of the proprietors are teaching the other proprietors, other school, you know. Uh, so that that's the second part of what's happening here. And then uh, the third part, uh, which we're still trying to figure out, uh, uh, and, uh, and I'm sure we will, is how do you engage students? 
better with limited technologies. But what we found is, is that even here, turning the school and thinking of it as a community hub, where parents get together, teachers get together, students get together, whether the schools open or not, how do you turn it into a community hub? That brings tremendous strength uh, uh, to, to the school community, uh, to the parents, to the teachers, to the students. And that is, I think, one of our biggest ahas. The third thing that will continue is we are now getting teachers to actually evaluate each other's curricula across countries. Uh, you know, and teaching methods. So I think those kind of things uh, are, are a gift uh, uh, of coming, the good things of the pandemic. Uh, and I'm hopeful they, they'll, they'll now scale in the future. Um, what is it that would make you, make your heart sing if you were reporting of what has been accomplished at a global level coming out of this year of pandemic? I, what would make my heart sing, uh, Mark, that's, that's a great question, would be that the kids are back in school, right? And in fact, more kids are in school that we have, we are often use saying we have built back better. That would make my heart sing, that the kids are back in school, that now we are able to offer, we know how to improve the quality of education in these schools. Third thing would be really would be that, and I'll close with this, is that there is globally a, a, a better feeding program for children. Uh, because even today, millions of children uh, are facing malnutrition. And I think to that end, I mean, what I'm excited about is even that opportunity, just even this year in the pandemic, we actually expanded into three countries. Um, you know, in the last two weeks, we have received uh, two very new two awards from uh, the U.S. government, from USAID, for expanding into uh, uh, in, in, into Zambia and into DRC, and are now talking to them about six to eight more countries. So my, you know, what would really be joyous for me would be that uh, not only the two we have, but we have had more starts. So as a result, you're looking, even through the pandemic, you're looking at a much expanded footprint uh, of uh, our education finance program, more kids in school, more schools open and running, better quality education, and, and uh, families that are not simply thankful, but are thrilled that their kids get together a great education.